You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 1. We started our, our new study in the book of Exodus for those that are visiting with us. Uh, just This is our third week, uh, I think, now in Exodus. And uh, we started the first week with an intro. Last week we covered uh, all of chapter 1. We titled last week's sermon, Living Optimistically in the Face of Hostility. And we, we really focused in on the idea that God has purposed to keep his promises to his people, and he won't let the pharaohs of the world thwart those plans, giving us confidence to endure the processes needed to prepare us for glory by obeying him above all else. And so we really focused in on the, the time period that Israel suffered as slaves in Egypt and what their reaction would have been like in that time period. So 400 plus years where they're in bondage to slavery, potentially questioning God's goodness, what is God up to. Um, We dialed in on the fact uh, when we started our study, though, that God is moving his people from being a family to being a people, right? Up until this point, um, it had really been God working with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Genesis ends and they go into Egypt, there's only 70 of them, so hardly a people group to really talk about, more like a a big extended family, right? Um, But it's very quickly in the book of Exodus where we start to see that expand and grow from being a family to really being a people, and then ultimately a nation is what comes about in the book of Exodus. Um, So we talked about them living with hope during those 400 years. How would they have processed God's workings around them? And we talked about God remembering his promises, that he had promised to Abraham when he started to initially make this covenant, that that the Israelites were going to be in bondage for 400 years. Um, And God keeps his promises in bringing them out of that bondage. And so we said as time passes, we must remember that God remains the same and his promises remain intact, that Genesis 15, the promise that they would be in Egypt, they would be a time period there, and then they would eventually come out, was meant to help them see that everything around me is right, that everything happening around me right now is right, God is using it for good, and it will come to an end. We said also that we find hope in God orchestrating his plans, that even as the enemy works to stop God's plans, the enemy actually helps God fulfill his plans, right? We saw how Pharaoh comes on the scene, a Pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph, um, comes on the scene and, and really tries to stop the growth of the Israelites. Now, he's maybe not privy to the promises that God has made that he's going to make them into a great nation. He's just concerned about his nation, right? He's over Egypt, and his concern is that the Israelites are going to become too big. They're going to either overthrow the Egyptians themselves or they will become allies with another nation looking to come and take everything from Egypt. And so he starts to panic and says, we've got to stop them. We've got to stop them from growing. He puts taskmasters over them. They become their slaves. They begin to, even then, as they continue to grow in the midst of slavery, they start to kill baby boys to try to hinder the growth and the population. But God chose that that through his plans to stop, so Pharaoh's plans to stop all the growth, all it does is produce more growth. And it produces a desire in Israel to leave, which is what God intended all along, right? God never intended for Israel to stay in Egypt. He never intended them to overthrow Egypt. The plan was always for them to kind of be in Egypt as an incubator, right? They were going to become a great nation there, and then God was going to call them forth to the promised land. And so the stage has been set for that to be fulfilled. We talked about finding hope in God preserving his people that 
um, God wouldn't allow their roots to go too deep in Egypt, right? They were ready to leave. So God brings us today through trials and challenges a lot of times to keep us from growing our roots too deep here on this earth, that he's promised that Jesus is coming back, a new world is to come. And so we want to long for that. We want to keep our eyes focused on that and not the here and now, not the immediate. This isn't our hope. And so God's doing the same thing in our hearts as well as he puts trials and difficulties in our life. And then we concluded last week talking about finding hope in God providing his prize. We talked specifically about the two midwives who had a moral decision to make. Were they going to obey the Pharaoh and continue to kill baby boys, or were they going to yield to the God that they claimed to fear? And we see that they did that. Uh, They ignored the instructions of Pharaoh. They obeyed God, and it says that God treated them well that God responded with well-treatment to them. And, and we, we talked about the fact last week that that's a promise for all of us, that God will always treat us well as his children. Now, the treatment that we get looks different. So God doesn't promise us that if we will do certain things, that he will always do specific things to us. He does promise, though, that it'll always work good, that he will always treat us well, even though your well-treatment may look a little different than mine. Um, he gives us that assurance. He gives us that promise. And so application-wise last week, I challenged you, do you remember his promises quickly when his plans seem to not make sense? And is is his well-treatment a sufficient enough reward to warrant your ongoing obedience to him? Do you remember his promises quickly when his plans seem to not make sense? I challenged you with the idea that the Israelites should have remembered as they were enduring slavery, this was promised by God. I challenged you that we should remember as Christians, as we encounter trials and difficulties and temptations, we are enduring exactly what Jesus promised his disciples. But just as God had promised Abraham, this will come to an end. Jesus has promised his disciples the same thing that he is coming back to put an end to all of our suffering. And so we rejoice and celebrate that. We long for that. We need to remember that when we're in the midst of trials today. And also the fact that his well-treatment should be a sufficient enough reward to warrant our ongoing obedience to him, that we say no to the gods of this world. We say no to the things of this world. We yield ourselves in obedience to him, knowing that in response, he will treat us well. Um, obviously it would make sense for us to move into chapter two since we covered all of chapter one last week. Um, but as I was continuing to ponder thoughts on chapter one, I didn't want us to move away from chapter one too quickly because I shared with you the first week, uh, the way that the book breaks down is chapter one's covering like 400 years of, of a time period. Then we're going to get into chapter two, which covers like an 80-year time period. And then the rest of the book is just like a few years. And so uh, a ton of time we covered last week in chapter one, just by uh, in one week's time talking about the, the slavery of, of the Israelites in Egypt. And I, I don't want us to move too quickly from that. And so I, I came back to an idea of, of just sharing some additional thoughts to you from chapter one, coupling it with the idea of what we see at the end of chapter two. So Let me start by reading to you again the beginning part of chapter 1. We're going to read the back end of chapter 2 and kind of see how those two things fit together. Um, And then I want to just share with you some additional thoughts today that we didn't get into as much last week. Um, Some of that just springing forward from uh, knowing that people within our church and then people outside of our church that I'm closely connected with as well are, are dealing with some trying times right now 
dealing with difficulties where it would be easy to question God's goodness. I had a friend reach out to me yesterday who received life-altering news and and needs my help in, in knowing how to communicate that to some people in her life. And I'll confess to you that, that I immediately began to question, why is God doing this, right? Like, where is God in the midst of this? Where is his goodness at in this? And then immediately had to draw my mind back to, well, what are we learning about in Exodus, right? Like, where do we see God's goodness? Because uh, whatever it is we're dealing with, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to minimize what you're dealing with, but it probably pales in comparison to what was happening in Exodus chapter 1 right? This wasn't just individuals who were suffering at the hands of the Egyptians. This was an entire people group, right? By the end of chapter one, we're in the millions at this point. Millions of people, God's people, not just uh, a couple in your church family who's suffering in a particular way. This is everybody suffering in the same way at one time, right? All of the the males and the females in Israel suffering at the hands of the Egyptians. Mommies who are are pregnant, worrying about the gender of their child, wondering if their child's going to be swiped from them at delivery and killed at the order of a pharaoh. Men who are getting up every day and having to, to go and work for an individual where no matter how hard they work, it doesn't really ever benefit them. Right? Their hard work doesn't lead to the betterment of their family. It just leads to the betterment of a nation that is not their own. This was a difficult predicament for God's people to find themselves in. They had every earthly right to question God's goodness. So whatever it is we're dealing with, Exodus speaks to that today. Exodus speaks to the goodness of God, the promises that he's made to us, and how he works and moves in the midst of difficulty not just for our good, but ultimately so that good can be done through us. And we're going to see that today as we share some additional thoughts. But let me, let me read to you again, the beginning of chapter one, we're going to couple it with the end of chapter, the beginning of chapter one, end it with the uh, coupling it with the end of chapter two, and we'll kind of fill in some gaps with additional thoughts today. So Exodus chapter one, verse one, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. It reminds us that God is, is more than just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because as these people died, God continued to be faithful to their offspring, right? He doesn't go away. He doesn't stop doing what he promised to do because Abraham died or because a, uh, Isaac died or because Jacob died or because Joseph died or because the, the other brothers died. No, all those people died. All those people are gone, and yet God continues to work and move with the people of Israel. They're fruitful. They're increasing greatly. They're multiplying. They're growing exceedingly strong. The land is filled with them. Why? Because God's keeping his promise. He said he was going to do this, and he's keeping his promise. He's doing this. Right? Then we go to the end of chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning 
And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, I've challenged you before with this passage. It's not that the cries and the groanings of Israel had to remind God of his promise. Right? He's, he's not being reminded here. He, he never forgot. Right? The idea of him remembering is that he never forgot, that he always was remembering. Right? I, I kind of shared the illustration before. Like, if you, if you have a kid who asks for a present, maybe over the summer, like, hey, I want this for Christmas, right? Christmas is so far from the summertime. But let's say on Christmas morning, they open that present up, and it's the thing they asked for in July, right? They may look at you and say, Mommy, Daddy, like, I can't believe you remembered what I wanted, right? You remembered what I wanted. And it's not that you had ever forgotten, you remembered from the very moment that they asked for it, right? And then there's a long period of time passed, and they think, oh, hey, you, you probably forgot, and then you remembered and got this for me for Christmas, whereas you may have bought it in July, right? God never forgot his promises. He never, he never forgot what he was intending to do. The groanings of Israel are, are simply coming to him, and he is now going to act and move because he remembered his covenant. This, this Egyptian king dies. The people of Israel are groaning Maybe there's hope that in the transition of power, this is now when God will move and bring about their deliverance. God hears their groaning. God remembers his covenant. But verse 25 is so powerful if we'll let it speak, not just to the people of Israel in Exodus, but allow it to speak to his people today. God saw the people of Israel. God saw his church and God knew. And God knew exactly what you're dealing with today. He knows exactly what your family members, your friends are dealing with today. He knows those things. And as we saw in Genesis 15, where God promised Abraham, this is what is going to happen. Your people are going to go in bondage to another nation. They are going to serve those people. They are going to be treated unjustly. And they're going to have that happen to them for 400 years. And then I'm going to bring them out. And I'm going to bring them back to the promised land. Not only does God know, he foreknew these things. He knew them before they were ever on our radar, right? The news that my friend got yesterday, it's not that God found out that too yesterday, right? Like God knew that well in advance, far in advance, centuries in advance, eternity past, he knew that. He's working and moving to make it good. He's working and moving to make it good, just as he was working and moving to make the slavery of the Egyptians, or the, the Egyptians' slavery towards Israel good as well. Our summary sentence for today, God's foreknowledge and his present knowledge of our circumstances gives us assurance that in the midst of challenges, good is being accomplished for us so that good can be accomplished through us. God's foreknowledge and present knowledge of our circumstances gives us assurance that in the midst of challenges, good is being accomplished for us so that good can be accomplished through us. For our kids, God works good for his children so he can do good through his children. Right? The foreknowledge piece is important. It tells us that God knew in advance of things happening. Right? God doesn't just have to live in a state of reacting to things. God knows things well before we ever know them. But then he also knows things as they're happening as well, right? We don't want to lose sight of the fact that God is the sovereign king of the universe, working and ruling and moving all over the entire planet as though we get lost in the shuffle of all that, right? 
There's big things that God's doing today. The Bible tells us that he appoints rulers and authorities and then rules his authority through them on this planet, right? So nobody comes into power unless God allows it. So, so God is certainly at work and moving in the leadership of our nation, in the leadership of other nations around the world. But he's also working and moving in your life today too, right? So he's that type of God. He doesn't, he doesn't just deal in big picture scenarios where our minuscule lives get lost in the shuffle. No, he's working and moving at all times in all places in your life as well as in every life around the world. God's foreknowledge, his present knowledge in our circumstances gives us assurance that in the midst of challenges, good is being accomplished for us, right? He's working and moving in our circumstances. Whether you're in the midst of good circumstances or bad circumstances today, God is working good in those circumstances. And part of the good that he works is so that good can be accomplished through you as a result of those circumstances. We're gonna see how that works today too in the lives of Israel. God's goal through the Exodus. Why, why, why is the book of Exodus here? Why do we have this history? And what was God's big purpose in putting Israel in Egypt and then bringing them out, exodusing them out? Like, what, what's the purpose in that? Well, as we delve more into this book, we're gonna see that God's goal through the Exodus was to put Israel in a position to worship him rightly. He wants them in a position to worship him rightly uh, so that all nations can worship him rightly. Right? Like, like God promised Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and then you are going to be a blessing to all nations. Right? Like he, wasn't, he wasn't creating this exclusive club where only the Israelites were going to enjoy fellowship with him and everybody else was going to get left out. No, God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to work in you, Abraham, work in your descendants. I'm going to create a great nation that's going to be a light. It's going to be a light, a city set on a hill that's going to, going to shine forth my glory so that others will come to me. That's what Israel was supposed to be. They were supposed to be set apart, different. They were supposed to show all the other nations, this is how it looks to worship Yahweh. It looks different than the ways that you worship, right? We don't live in the type of responsive fear that like our obedience and, and our disobedience and, and whatnot uh, creates like uh, spur of the moment anger and whatnot from our gods. That's how they were kind of, all these other nations were crippled by that. No, Yahweh reveals himself in a totally different manner, right? When he reveals himself to Moses, he's a, he's a loving and patient God. He, he's a God with, with, with great mercy and grace, long suffering, but he's also a God who won't clear the guilty, right? He's a God who brings justice to every situation, so Israel was meant to be a set-apart nation that was going to show everybody how different looks. This is what it looks like to follow the real true God and then inviting them to come and do that as well. We're going to see when the Israelites leave Exodus, it's not just direct descendants of Abraham that leave with them. There's other people that are already mixing in, people from other nations that are already mixing in and buying into this idea that Yahweh is the one true God. But God's goal through Exodus is to put Israel in a position to worship him rightly. The call to Israel and the demand to Pharaoh was for Israel to be released for the purpose of coming out of Egypt in order to come into worshipful, worshipful fellowship with him. The idea being leave your old life behind and come worship me. It's the same call that was given to Abraham, right? Remember, Abraham was told to, to get up and leave Ur. 
to leave your old life behind, to come and tell, to go wherever I tell you to go and to worship me in the process. It's the same call that's given to us today, right? Whenever the gospel came to you and, and the, the gospel message began to draw you through the power of the Holy Spirit to him, there was a call to leave your old life, to follow the shepherd, to follow the lamb wherever he goes, right? To come and worship him. It's the same call that was given to Israel back in Exodus. Leave your old life behind, come worship me. Israel would come to worship God rightly in the same ways that we do, by realizing a need to turn to him, recognizing a need to trust him, and responding to a need to obey him. So what I want to help you see today is that chapter 1, the slavery in Egypt, sets the stage for how Israel will come to trust Yahweh and obey him. God uses the challenges and difficulties in Egypt to create a need in their hearts to trust him and to obey him. And I think God uses challenges and trials and difficulties in our life to do the exact same thing, to increase our trust in him, to increase our obedience towards him. God's dealings with Israel and Egypt reminds us that God is always working for our good, but he isn't only working for ours alone. Let me say that again. God's dealings with Israel and Egypt reminds us that God is always working for our good, but he isn't only working for ours alone. Think about it. The Israelites experienced the perfect setting for becoming a nation. We've, we've already highlighted this the last two weeks, but this is how God was working for their good. He's ex- they're experiencing this perfect setting for becoming a nation, right? They have the protection where they're, they're again, in that incubator in Egypt where nobody's messing with them because Egypt is the world power at that time. So God's goodness is seen in that he puts his people in this protective canopy where they can't be touched by other nations. He's protecting them. We also see, though, that he's preserving them, right? The whole idea that they were to go live in Goshen, to be separated from the Egyptians. Even as they become slaves, they're very distinctly different from the Egyptians. God preserves the lineage, the people that are coming from Abraham. And then God also blesses them with possessions because they're going to need possessions to be a great nation. Now, Genesis 15, 14, let me turn our attention back there quickly. Genesis, this is a, this is a part of the, the passage that we haven't highlighted as specifically. But remember, in Genesis 15, verse 12, as God is establishing this covenant with Abraham, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. He certainly kept that promise, right? He brings the plagues upon the Egyptians. He brings the Red Sea down upon Pharaoh's army. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God promised that the Israelites were going to leave with great possessions, which we find that they do. We'll get there eventually, but when they leave Egypt, as they are walking out, the Egyptians are giving them all this stuff to take with them, right? They are so fed up with them and their presence in Egypt. They are, they are sick of the plagues that they've, have to, they've had to endure. It's like, hey, let's make sure we get this right. Not only are we going to let you guys go, we're going to let you go with a lot of, we're going to let you go with a lot of fanfare, right? Like we're going to give you all of our stuff. And so they leave not just rich in people, but rich in stuff as well. God certainly works good for for the children of Israel during their time in Egypt. But secondly, 
It's not just that God is working with his people alone. He's working with people outside of fellowship with him. The Amorites experienced the kindness and patience of God, even if they never repented, right? God tells Abraham, I'm going to delay your descendants taking the land because the sin of the Amorites, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I don't know what all they were guilty of sinning of at the time of Abraham and what they still needed to do to complete their iniquity. I don't know if it needed to get uh, more rampant or if they needed to include some things they weren't currently doing. All we know is that the iniquity hadn't reached a boiling point where God was going to bring justice to the situation. Now, he could have brought justice to the situation right then and there and would have been right for doing so. But because he's a, a, a patient God, because he's a long-suffering God, we see both aspects of God here. He brings justice, but he brings it in a timetable where repentance is afforded to a people group. And so the Amorites get this. Now, we see their defeat comes later in Numbers 21 and in Joshua 10 and 11. You can read about it. But What the critic loves to do is they love to criticize how God could be good and allow his people to come in and kill other nations to take their land. And if you just read it separated from the whole context of Scripture, you just go to uh, the the, the Torah and you read towards the back end with Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you're reading about some of these events where they go in and start killing the Amorites, women and children, and taking their lands. You could look at that and say, "That that doesn't mesh with a God of love. But if you read Genesis 15, you see... Oh, this is, this is right, this is good, this is just, because their sin, their iniquity has been tolerated for long enough. They've had opportunity to change, right? So God's always working and moving, not just for us, but also for those around us too. God used the time in Egypt for Israel's good. He transitioned them from being a family to being a people, from 70 to millions. He also made sure that nothing was going to stop their growth into a nation, They didn't have to wander. They didn't have to worry about separation. Remember when Abraham and Lot, when their families are growing, they couldn't even find enough grass for their their animals, right? Because so much of the land was owned by nations and kingdoms, they couldn't go invade there. And so they're trying to kind of eat and mingle around the the countries that are kind of dominating at that time. And Abraham and Lot have to even separate because they got too big. Imagine Israel growing into the millions but not having their own land. God preserved them by putting them in Goshen so they could grow in that way. They didn't have to fight other nations as they grew as well. So God was certainly working good. But I want to I finish with our time by looking specifically at how he taught them to obey him, to trust him, but then also how to use their own experiences to serve others as well. Right? So let's look at this. Number one, obey him and trust him in your current predicaments because of his past deliverances. Obey and trust him in your current predicaments because of his past deliverances. God's going to take their experience in Egypt, and then when we fast forward later in the Old Testament, he keeps coming back to their experience in Egypt as a motivator for how they're to live now. If we could transition our minds into thinking that God wants to use our circumstances now for purposes down the road, it'll help us filter the current circumstances through his goodness. He uses the Egyptian experience for Israel's good because it teaches them to obey him and trust him. Number one here, God taught Israel why they should obey him by redeeming them. 
He taught them why they should obey him by redeeming him. Fast forward into the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Look how that section starts out. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's saying, remember where you were before I intervened. Remember who you were before I intervened. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of that, who saved you and redeemed you out of that. He then goes into verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 32. For ask, now of, for ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose your offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Again, the highlight being that you were in Egypt, you were in slavery, and you were miraculously rescued from that. Follow him. Obey him. One more in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Arimian was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. What's happening here? They're being given instructions about how to worship, and part of their worship is to, to bring and to give, right? 
And the motivation to bring and to give is to look back into their history and to see that God has rescued me. God rescued me out of darkness and he brought me into his marvelous light so that I can serve him. Remember, the goal was to get them out of Egypt and to get them worshiping properly. Now, all of us find ourselves in darkness before Christ and we're in sin and God rescues us out of that to worship him. But even after salvation, there's dark days that maybe come into our life, circumstances that, that are difficult, trying and challenging. And God rescues us out of those things as well. And the call is to be rescued from that to then worship him in a more deep, deep manner, to see his rescue, to see his salvation, and to rejoice in it. God gave them a great difficulty where they could not rescue themselves, and then he rescued them out of it. And he says, your, your appropriate response is to worship me because of it. We've talked about creator rights before, that we, we owe God our worship and our obedience because he made us, because he created us. But we also see that there's this redeemer right over us. Our call to obey God and worship him is expanded in our redemption. He's not just our maker, he's our savior. The call to obey is based on his act to save. He doesn't save us if we obey he saves us so we will obey. He didn't come to the Israelites and say, hey, here's the law, obey that, and if you do, then I'll come rescue you out of slavery. Notice that. He doesn't, he doesn't have Moses come and deliver the Ten Commandments and say, you earn my love, you earn my favor, then I'll save you. That's what every other religion teaches. Every other religion teaches, here's the law, obey it, then you can be saved. No, God comes into Egypt and saves a people that's not that much different than all the other peoples, right? It's not that they were more righteous than everybody else, right? He comes in and saves them and then says, here's my law, obey it. Why? Because I saved you. That's what sanctification is. We are saved to work for him now. We're not saved because we were working for him before. No, we, we were in darkness and we needed to be saved. And he saved us and says, now come worship me. Now come follow me. And so that's exactly what's happening for Israel. They are called out of this to then learn how to worship him. Number two, God taught Israel why they should trust him by delivering them. He taught them to trust him by delivering them. His previous provisions should drive our response to current needs. His previous provisions should drive our response to current needs. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 29. This is in the context of Israel was supposed to go into the promised land they spied it out and got terrified over what they found and wouldn't go in, right? In verse 29, Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Now, verse 32 is the tragic part. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what, you should, by what way you should go. Israel rejects the lesson, but the lesson is still the same. God says, look, I did this in Egypt so that you could trust me when further predicaments came into your life. 
He says, you don't have to fear what's facing, what's facing you now because you've already seen my faithfulness in times past of how we overcame things together uh, that were just as difficult. I think God gives us victory over trials and challenges. He brings these type of circumstances into our life so that we can then face greater things down the road and trust him even more because we've seen his deliverance in other things. Israel was delivered out of Egypt so they could trust him to be delivered in Canaan. Now, they failed the test. They failed to learn the lesson. Let us not fail to learn the lesson today. You may be going through circumstances right now, and God is going to use those circumstances. He's going to deliver you from those circumstances so that you can face greater circumstances down the road. Obey him. Trust him in your current predicaments because of his past deliverances. God says, you obey me because I saved you. You trust me because I saved you. He saved us initially from our sins. He is still saving us through life circumstances today. We ought to obey him and trust him just as Israel was called to do. And then number two, use your experiences to help shape the experience of others. Use your experiences to help shape the experience of others. Number one, God taught Israel how he would treat them through his careful planning and promise keeping. Okay, so for us to help other people with their experiences, we've got to get our experience right ourselves, right? So how do we, how do we go through trials and challenges and difficulties and, and learn what we need to learn, see the goodness of God in the midst of it so that we can then help other people with their experiences? Well, first, we need to see that um, God carefully plans and keeps promises to us as well, right? He did that for Israel. He does that for us. We've already talked about this some today, but God foreknew the events that would take place and how they would unfold in his plan. He foreknew the events of Egypt. He foreknew that the people were going to end up there. He foreknew that the Pharaoh was going to put them into slavery. And he foreknew that he was going to bring them out. He was going to save them. and He was going to give them great possessions. And they were going to come into the promised land. He foreknew all of that. We don't just serve a God who knows what we're going through. We serve a God who foreknew what we would go through. The comfort is that by knowing, he is also preparing for us to go through it. He is a God who acts, not a God who simply reacts. God knew the current plight of his people and was at work even when they didn't know it to deliver them. He knew every Hebrew suffering, the beatings, the injustices, but he also knew that if he ended it early, he wouldn't accomplish the greatest good for them. Think about that. He wasn't gonna cut this off after 200 years, after 300 years, He wasn't going to bring judgment on the Amorites too early. He wasn't going to rescue Israel out of Egypt before they were as strong as they needed to be. Everything was planned and purposed. It's the same for our trials as well. He foreknows our trials. He's not going to end them too early before they accomplish the good that he intends in our life either. He is going to, I was telling this person yesterday, he's too invested in you as a child of his to not bring good. He's too invested in us not to bring good in our circumstances. He knew their current plight and he was gonna work and move to accomplish the good. Think about what's in between what we read today. We read the beginning of chapter one. We read the end of chapter two. There's about 80 years that take place there with Moses growing up and, and trying to lead the children of Israel out in his own power. He gets mixed up in some conflict. He ends up killing an Egyptian. He then flees into the wilderness, right? He runs away from the situation. Like all that's happening in the midst of the Israelites still praying for God to do something. 
right? God's, God, God's, God's hearing them, and he's already working and moving, and they don't even know it yet. They don't even realize how much is happening behind the scenes to prepare for their deliverance. It encourages us to keep praying, too, in the midst of our trials, and we trust that while we're praying, and there may be longevity where we don't see God working and moving, if he foreknew our trials and difficulties, he's already planning to get us out of them. He's already planning to give us, get us out of them. He's already planning to carry us through them. He was certainly doing that for Israel. Moses, the whole story that we're going to look at in the coming weeks of, of him coming to power in Egypt and whatnot, all that's happening in the midst of Israel praying, and they don't even know their deliverer is already on the scene. They don't even realize that their deliverer is already growing up and being equipped to lead them out of Egypt. Our God knows how long, and he knows the time will come for him to keep his promises to us. And it'll also be the time for him to judge those around us. God knows how long we need to go through every trial and difficulty. And he knows when he's going to deliver us. And he knows when he's going to bring justice. Both to our individual situations and ultimately to when he comes back to rule and reign forever. God taught Israel this. He taught them how he would treat them through his careful planning and promise keeping. So when they come out of Egypt and they go into the promised land, they're called to constantly lean back on what you know from your deliverance from Egypt. You know what type of God I am. You know the type of God who, that I am. I work good for you. I preserve you. I care for you. That was their experience, and that was to be their experience. But then number two, God taught Israel how to treat others through their own mistreatment and subsequent comfort. God taught Israel how to treat others through their own mistreatment and subsequent comfort. Look at this. How Israel was treated in Egypt became the grounds for how they should treat others differently. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. We've looked at this idea in the New Testament, right? In Matthew chapter uh, 7. I think it was Matthew chapter 7. Sermon on the Mount, uh, the golden rule, right? We're, we're, told to treat, we're called to treat others the way that we wish to be treated. The people of Israel have become a nation. They were a family. They become a nation. They don't have all these, these laws and rules and understandings that we do in the New Testament already built into their life. That comes with God giving them the law. And God gives them instructions about how to treat other people. And he leans in on, hey, you know how other people should be treated because you know how you've been treated and how you didn't like it. Right? He talks about how they're going to treat the foreigner. And they're going to do it differently than the Egyptians. Exodus chapter 22. Verse 21, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God says, we're going to do things differently as a nation. We're not going to treat other people that way because you were treated that way and you didn't like it. And we're going to treat people differently. Exodus 23, verse 9, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. He's like, you're not going to treat people who are different in, in a bad way because you know what it's like to be different. You felt the mistreatment. You're going to do it differently. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19. Like this was a pretty heavy theme in the Torah, in the law that's given, because it keeps popping up. Leviticus 19 verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Like this is Old Testament golden rule here, right? Treat others as your neighbor. Right? We saw this in the, um, 
uh, the uh, Good Samaritan parable, right? Like, who's my neighbor? Well, the question was reinvented by Jesus to who can I be neighborly to, right? Like, God is instructing the Old Testament uh, people in the same way. He says, look, you're going to love them as yourself because you were strangers in the land of Egypt and you know what it was like to be mistreated. Uh, Let's jump over to Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. He also challenges them in the ways that they're going to handle people who are indebted to them. Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 18. He says, we're going to let them out of their debts after a period of time. We're not going to have slavery ongoing in our nation. We're going to be different than how the Egyptians treated you, right? He says, I want you to feel what it felt like to be in your trial and your difficulty and allow that to shape how you treat other people differently, right? I think God brings us through things today so that we will learn better how we can encourage and support others, sometimes based on how we didn't receive that in our own circumstance. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says. In my notes, I put, how we are treated by God should drive the way we treat others. God wants Israel to learn that. He wants them to see their experience in Egypt, how they were mistreated by people, and yet they were loved by God, and then use that to help shape the experience of others. Be different to those people based on how you were mistreated. But how we're treated by God should drive the way that we treat people today too. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. What's that saying? It's saying that God brings you through certain things. And through that experience, you see his goodness and you learn to trust him and you obey him and you come out on the other side victorious of it. And he carried you through that because there's people in your life that are gonna go through something very similar. And maybe they're not seeing that experience the same way you are. Maybe they're not quick to run to the goodness of God. Maybe they're quick to question where he is in all of this. If he knew this, why is he letting me go through this kind of a thing? And you're able to bring the comfort that you experience in your own experience to their experience. You're able to help shape their experience so that they don't fall away and so they don't question God's goodness because you're able to bring them back to God's goodness. You're able to help them see, hey, this is how I came out of Egypt, my Egypt. He rescued me from it. He delivered me from it, and he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. Psalm 27, 23 says that God directs our steps when we follow him. The Israelites had to at times question, were we following God when we came down to Egypt because we are in slavery down here? The promise in Genesis 15 says you absolutely followed him correctly because he said you were going to follow him down here and end up in slavery. 
whatever you're going through today, you don't have to immediately question and say, did I do something wrong to find myself in this spot? It's very likely that God followed or you followed God right into it. He directed your steps right where he wanted you to be. And you're going through that challenge and that circumstance for a particular reason so that you can learn to trust him more, obey him more, and use that experience to bring comfort to others as well. Look at this quote from John Piper. Your affliction has a purpose. You likely don't know what it is yet, but someday you will. And your affliction has a timeline. You likely don't know what it is yet, and likely it already seems too long. But someday you will understand, and you will understand that the purposes for both your affliction and how long you were required to endure it extended far beyond the range of your perception, and then it will make sense. The application for us today, number one, process your life circumstances with a mindset that God knew and God knows. His foreknowledge, he knew, he knew you were going to be going through this, and his present knowledge, he knows that you are currently going through it. Number two, prepare to use your life circumstances to strengthen your own faith and the faith of others too. God put Israel in Egypt to strengthen their faith. They were to learn to trust him and obey him. And then they were to come out of that treating other people differently because of how God treated them in the midst of it. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you and praise you for the preservation of the story of Israel being rescued from Egypt. God, help us to see that it's our story, that we are a part of your people now, and that you are the same God today that you were yesterday. You are the same God today that you were thousands of years ago. You are treating your people the same way. You're working and moving. You're keeping promises. You're redeeming and delivering us. God, help us to see all of our experiences through this lens, that you are good, that you work good, so that we can rightly worship you, so that we can see good accomplished through us. You did it for Israel. You're doing it for the church today. You're doing it for us as individual individual Christians. God, whatever trial and difficulty we're facing today, Lord, help us to navigate through it with an understanding that you knew and you know. God, for people in our life that are going through tragedies and difficulties right now, help us to see that our experiences can speak to those experiences, that those people need to hear how we have been rescued from similar circumstances so that they can turn their trust to you when they doubt. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.